right. Good evening, everybody. Good to see you tonight. We are so glad that you are here again. We just want to extend a special welcome to anyone that is uh, new here today. This is no ordinary day. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you picked a good one. Just tell them that right now. You picked a good one. Get you, get you moving and thinking. It's been a day that we've been anticipating for months, the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. For some of you, you are as giddy as a kid on Christmas morning, and for some of you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But hopefully by the end of the message today, you will. And so we're celebrating this Reformation, this movement that swept through Europe in the 1500s, bringing drastic changes to the church. And uh, so today we join not just with Lutherans, but with Christians all over the country. Even the Pope said he was excited for us. So that's a big deal uh, when the Pope endorses something. So uh, we join with all of them and we celebrate this movement that changed not only the face of the church, but really changed the, changed the world in a lot of ways. And so it's a really big deal. And now we know that we're kind of capping off this sermon series today that we've been in. And I know a lot of you didn't grow up Lutheran. A lot of you, this is like, what? Reformation? potluck. I mean, I like the free food, but what's that all about? Like, what's, what's, what's going on here? So to break it down for you, if you didn't grow up uh, in more of a traditional church that celebrated these sorts of things, I'm just trying to, to put my thinking hat on. This would be like, for, for diehard Lutherans, this weekend is like the Super Bowl, the World Series, the, the solar eclipse thing that happened, the 4th of July and the State Fair all rolled into one, okay? Does that give you a little bit better picture? I mean, it's a big deal. So put all those things together. That's a really big deal because here's the thing. Without the Reformation, we wouldn't be here. We would not exist as a church, certainly as Lutheran Church of Hope, but maybe even not as the Protestant church. We would not exist all because a short monk from Germany named Martin Luther, took one step of faith. Because the reality is, one step of insane courage changes everything. One step of insane courage changes everything. I was thinking about the power of steps this week. Everybody look down at your shoes for a second. Just look at your shoes. Think about how many steps have you taken in those shoes? Maybe if you have new shoes, like five, but how many steps have you taken? I did a little research this week, and I discovered that the average American female takes 5,000 steps a day. That's a lot. And then they said the average American male takes about 7,000 steps a day. Now, some, some people would say, well, that's just because men work harder, but we know that, that can't be the case. And so I did a little research this week, and I asked uh, some, some ladies around me, and they, they actually said, no, actually, that's just because women are getting uh, more work done in a third less the time. And it's called multitasking, ladies, right? Amen? Guys were like waffle brains, like I'm in this box right now, and that's all I'm doing. So that's a lot of steps when you think about it. Count it all up. That's almost a million steps that you take a year. That's a lot of steps, isn't it? No wonder our shoes get worn out, right? Or over the course of your lifetime, you will take enough steps that would equal 100,000 miles. Just walking. And those of you that run, you can probably multiply that by a little bit. And if that's not exhausting enough, by the end of your life, you will have circled the planet four times. That's a lot of miles. That's a lot of steps. That is a lot of steps. And yet, do you know how many steps would it take for you to get reconnected with God today? Everybody say one. One. Some of you are like 17, 8, I don't know how, how many. How many steps would it take for you to, for God to change something in your life? One. Are you getting this? Everybody say one. 
Some of you aren't tracking with me. All right. Maybe you're like me and you felt a little bit overwhelmed recently. Maybe you're like me and you felt uh, a little tired or discouraged. And God reminded me, how, how many steps do I need to take to find the rest and the encouragement that I'm looking for? Oh, you're getting it. Okay, gotcha. That's awesome. For some of you, if you're honest, and we're all about just being authentic and honest here, for some of you, you've been kind of running in the opposite direction from God recently. You've been taking a lot of steps, but they haven't been towards God. They've been away from God. And some of you have been a little lukewarm about your faith, a little lukewarm about this whole church thing. How many steps do you think it would take to get reconnected with God today? One. One. Just one step. A hundred thousand in your lifetime, but just one step. One step of faith can change everything. One step of insane courage can change everything, and nobody knows that better than our friend Martin Luther. If you've been around the last month or so, you know we've been walking through this sermon series called Here We Stand, and we've been looking at the foundations of our Lutheran heritage, and we've discovered uh, that it was this guy, Martin Luther, the Catholic priest in 1517 that took one step of insane courage. He took on the authorities of his day. He challenged the status quo, and he sparked a revolution. And so, since it's Reformation weekend, and I know quite a few of you have been around, at least for uh, several of these messages, uh, we're not going to go through Reformation weekend without making sure that you're all legitimate Lutherans. And we're, so today we're going to have, that's right, a Reformation pop quiz. You ready for this? Some of you are like, ah, I didn't study, right? I guarantee you'll be okay. We're not going to make you do this alone. Some of you have been here uh, your whole life. Some of you, uh, this is your first time maybe. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to uh, figure out how Lutheran we are, and you're going to meet somebody new at the same time. So what I want you to do is get into groups of three, two or three, not more than that, just two or three, because I don't want anybody to just cheat and, you know, have a know-it-all. So if you need to move around just a little bit, but get into groups of uh, two or three, at least two. You can't do it by yourself. So everybody's got to be on a little team. This is highly competitive here at Hope Des Moines, all right? So find somebody that looks Lutheran around you, and you'll want them on your team, okay? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to walk you some questions right now in your team on the back of your bulletin. I'm giving you permission to do this or somewhere on your bulletin. Just find some empty space or uh, something like that. Somebody be the, the note taker in your group, okay? We can't finish the series unless we know that you know what you're talking about. All right, so get out your bulletin. You're going to want to write down your answers because I'm not going to give them to you, obviously. You're going to write them down. So we're going to walk through five questions. Some are easy. Some are maybe a little bit more difficult. But we're going to see how much you've been <laughs> paying attention, right? And so I thought, well, we can't have a pop quiz. It kind of feels like we're in a game show. Uh, up here a little bit, and so uh, we should probably have some game show music just to kind of get in the mood, don't you think? Just to figure that out, should we do that? Okay, let's 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 roll the roll the music. There we go. There we go. Okay, there we go. Now you're in the mood. Okay, here we go. First question. Don't yell it out. Don't tell anybody the answer. Just write it down. Discuss amongst yourself. What year did the Reformation begin? Write it down. Don't tell. Don't tell anybody. Just somebody write it down. Okay, we're starting easy here. I kind of gave you the answer to that one. Okay, question number two. Here we go. Name two of the five solas that are pillars of the Reformation. Hint, they all begin blank alone. There's five of them, okay? And the answer is not home, okay? There's five solas. See if you can name two of them or maybe just one of them, okay? Something that was important 
to Martin Luther, something important to the Reformation. We need two out of the five. If you want to be an overachiever, you can go for all five, okay? Two of the solas that are pillars of the Reformation, okay? Need a little bit more time on that one? Well, I'm not going to give it to you. Okay, question number three. Here we go. Is this the third one? We're good? Okay. Luther taught that all Christians should be able to read the Bible and participate fully in ministry. This was called the blank of all believers. I did a whole sermon on this a couple weeks ago. The blank of all believers. The blank of all believers. Starts with the letter P. The blank of all believers. Making it easy on you here tonight, all right? Everybody got an idea? Let's go to the next one. Luther pointed people back to the truth that blank should be the final authority in our lives. What should be the final authority in our lives? Twitter. No, that's not true. No. What should be the final authority in our lives? All right, I think we got one more. We got one more. Here we go. What did Luther nail to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany? What are we celebrating this weekend? What did he nail to the door of the church? Don't say a nail, even though that's true. What did he nail? All right. Awesome. Okay. Now the real deal. So go ahead. You can, you can, you can cut out the music. Let's walk back. Let's go back to the beginning. Uh, and somebody just, uh, you can just yell it out. We'll just kind of green light it here. What year did the Reformation begin? B, 1517. You got it. You know what? I was thinking, go back, 1991. That was a great year. You know what happened that year? Like yesterday, the Twins won the World Series. That's why that was a good year. 1991. Hasn't happened since. All right. Next one. Name two of the five solas. Just yell some out. Grace alone. Scripture alone. Christ alone. Faith alone. Truth and scripture are kind of interchangeable in that sense. There's one more that's... That's right. Sola de Gloria, right? That one's a little different. That one's not alone, but it's to God be the glory or to, to God be the glory alone. We live for the glory of God alone. Those are the, the tenets, the pillars of, uh, of not really just the Lutheran faith, but really of, uh, of Protestant faith as well. So go ahead and go on to the next one. Uh, this was called the what of all believers? Priesthood. You got it, right? Remember that sermon? You're all priests. You can all be on the front lines of ministry. You all have the same power living inside of you. Next one. Luther pointing people back to the truth that what is the final authority? Scripture. You got it, right? You got it. (laughs) Does somebody else have some different answers for that one? The Bible, Scripture. That's good. All right. What did Luther nail to the door of the church in Whitmer, Germany? The 95 Theses. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look so Lutheran. Just tell them that right now. You look so Lutheran. Oh my goodness. Good job. How many, how many got five for five? All right. That's who gets to go first for the potluck afterwards. All right. Awesome. Good deal. You can move back or you can stay close, whatever you want. That's fine. Maybe you made a new friend, right? Do you ever wonder what it would have been like to be there that day when this quiet little monk walks over to the door of the church, like the center of town, and to, to hear the hammer hit and to hear that, that sound of a hammer hitting a nail resonate through the entire cathedral, the entire church, that would be pretty powerful. One step is all it took. 
One step of insane courage sparked a revolution. Let's take a quick look. And everyone will, and everyone did, as we talked about the printing press coming along and the word got out. One step, folks, one step of insane courage changed everything. Luther knew that, but he wasn't the only person in history to take that step. So did another religious leader about 500 years before that, and his name was Nicodemus. If you have your Bibles, turn to our gospel reading tonight from John chapter 3. John chapter 3, if you have your Bibles or your Bible app on your phone, go ahead and pull that up. We're going to hang out here for a little bit. John chapter 3. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospels, and uh, John is the last one. So we're going to be there in chapter 3, and as we kind of arrive on the scene This is fairly early on in Jesus' ministry, but word is getting out about him that he's performing lots of miracles and people are starting to notice, including Nicodemus. And so we read this in verse 1, chapter 3. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. So let's stop there for a second. So we discover that Nicodemus, or I'm guessing Nick, as his buddies called him, uh, they, he, he's not only a Pharisee, which is kind of one of the religious leaders in Jesus' day, but he is a member of the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin, almost like the Supreme Court of the church in those days. And so this is a pretty prestigious, popular guy. But secondly, have you ever wondered, so it just says he, he comes at night, and sometimes we skip over those types of passages in Scripture, but why in the world would he come at night? If he's like a big deal, what would he have to hide? Why, why did John think that that detail was so important to put in there? Well, it was no secret that the people that Jesus had the most issues with, just the same people that Martin Luther had the same issues with, were the religious people, right? They were the church people, including Nicodemus. So Jesus was a major threat to the box that they had built that they thought that the Messiah would fit in when and if and when that Messiah did come. It certainly wouldn't look like this Jew from Nazareth. And so to be seen with Jesus for Nicodemus would to be, be seen with the enemy. You just don't go to Jesus and hang out with him. Jesus was challenging the status quo, and yet something inside Nicodemus knew maybe just one step. Maybe just one step of insane courage could change everything. And so he goes, and Jesus has been challenging the status quo, which was the Pharisees, among others, understanding that the way to be made right with God was through following the the laws and and, and essentially getting you saved was through good works. A a way of looking at that would be in a very simple format. If, If this is God and having a relationship with him and we're all down here, you're down here, how in the world do we close that gap? That, that's a void, and how, how do you get in a right relationship with God? Because we know that none of us are holy, and none of us are good enough, but the way that the Pharisees had interpreted the law and the way that they were seeing it through was the lens of works, was through the lens of, if I follow all these rules in the law, that will essentially make me right with God. Never mind the heart. Never mind salvation. And essentially, this was the same dilemma that Luther found himself in, right? Here's all these people that, first of all, can't read the Bible on their own, and here's God, and they don't know that there is a plan to get there. And Luther discovered that, and Nicodemus was about to discover that as well. If God's there and you're here, how can we have a relationship with him? And it's not just back then. There are those, and we have to be careful as modern-day church people that we don't become modern-day Pharisees. 
essentially, who say that Christianity, how, how you fill that void, some people would say that it's effort. How many of you ever thought, well, if I just try harder, then maybe that'll be good? Or it's about how moral or religious you are. If, I just, if I'm a really religious person, then maybe that'll fill that void as well, but it doesn't. And Pharisees also tend to be a little legalistic, that it's got to be their way. And if you do things just right, and if you do things my way, or if you adopt you know, a certain agenda, if you see things my way, uh, then, then that's great. Or if you abide by a certain church tradition or a way of, of worshiping or something like that. And so we get really hung up on these things as Christians, and we end up fighting each other and being each other's enemy instead of fighting the one who is the enemy. And we just we become very legalistic that it's maybe if I just follow a certain tradition and that my church background is better than your church background and the way that we worship is better than the way that you worship. And if I just do things a certain way, then maybe that can fill the void as well. Essentially, what all these things attempt to do is Jesus plus fill in the blank. Jesus plus something else, and you and I all put something in that blank. Jesus plus any of those things. The problem is, and the good news is, that's not the offer of Christianity. Instead, what Nicodemus discovers and what Luther eventually pointed us back to, the reason that those solas are so important is that right over the top of all of that, there's grace. And Jesus came to make a way so that we didn't have to try to get up to him. Actually, he flips it down and the arrow goes the other way. That's sola fide, faith. That's sola Grazia, sola, grace. Grace through faith is what saves us. And that's why we have a big cross in the middle of our worship center. That's why, hopefully, when all of you came in tonight, you received that little wooden cross. That's our gift to you on this Reformation weekend. Go ahead and pull that out and hold that and, and cling to that and look at that for a while. We want you to take that home. You can put it on your keychain. You can hang it in your car or wherever. You're going to see it on a regular basis the reason we gave you that is to remember this. Without it, we don't have any hope. Every other religion in the world says you got to go climb up that ladder to God. The reason that the Reformation was so important is because if that wouldn't have happened, we would have lived with this image and we would never be good enough. We would never be good enough. But because of that cross that you hold in your hand, we have hope. That's where our hope comes from. One of the central verses of the Reformation is from Ephesians chapter 2. Let's read it together nice and loud. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Here, 2,000 years after Paul and 500 years after Luther, if you're like me, you're still struggling to actually believe that. And more than that, actually live in that. I find myself falling into these traps all the time. A certain agenda, my effort, my tradition, my religion is actually going to get me there. I struggle to actually believe that, and maybe you do too, that God's grace is enough for you. Which was a box-shattering concept for Nicodemus, yet as he comes to Jesus, he takes this step of courage to find out a little bit more, but what he doesn't understand is <laughs> Nicodemus is down here, Jesus is up here, and he thinks, i got to climb up this way to get to Jesus. And what he doesn't realize is with his one step, God, 
Jesus himself has already come a million steps to him. That's the offer of Christianity. Not 100,000 steps to try to earn God's love. You already have it, and he's traveled a million steps and literally moved heaven and earth to get to you. How does Jesus put that back to the story? Verse 2, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, pretty risky, pretty courageous, and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God, was not, if God were not with him. Jesus could have been all snotty and say, well, here I am, right? But he doesn't. Jesus responds, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Born again, that's a masculine uh, word there in the Greek and essentially means begotten again or begotten of the Father. It's a new identity. So Jesus comes to Nicodemus to meet him where he's at. He doesn't say you have to come up here. Nicodemus is down here. Jesus says, I've, I've come all the way to you. <laughs> but I'm not going to leave you there. A phrase we say around Hope Des Moines a lot is that God loves you right where you are, but he refuses to leave you there. Okay? It's grace, but it leads to life transformation. And so what Jesus has done is he meets us where we are with his grace, but he doesn't leave us there. And he says, Nicodemus, he says to you tonight, look, look up. Stop looking at you and look at me. Get a kingdom perspective. Stop trying to measure up and start discovering grace. Start discovering a new view of your life. Start discovering grace. I like how kids seem to understand these things a lot better than us. Sometimes we try to make religion very complicated. Our kids, uh, they both love basketball, uh, maybe because I do, and that's what they see me doing in the driveway uh, a lot. But we have adjustable hoop, and uh, I had it at 10 feet, uh, and then I lowered it to 7 feet because I thought that maybe I was still in high school and I could actually dunk at one point in my life, which I could, and now I realize I'm not uh, 17 years old anymore, and I'm usually in my loafers out there. And so I just got you know, stuffed and rejected by the rim so many times to have the humiliating experience of my two-year-old and my four-year-old looking at me going, Daddy, you missed it, over and over. And I don't need that humiliation anymore. And so I just took it upon myself to lower it to seven feet uh, for, for me, not for the kids, no, for me, so I could feel better about myself. But it's still a little high for the kids. And so Evie, our two-year-old, instead of beating herself up and trying to lie to herself about her current abilities, the way that Evie likes to do it is she grabs a big full-size basketball, and she waddles over and stands right in front of the hoop, and she kind of looks at me and goes, whoa, big hoop, and she does that every time, as if I don't know, and she comes over, whoa, big hoop, and then she just looks at me, she's not trying to do it by her own effort, she just looks over at me and goes, daddy, up, every time, she gets the ball, waddles over, whoa, big hoop, she's like looking at the standard that she knows she can never achieve on her own strength. And what's her first reaction? Not to get mad, not to get frustrated with her limitations, not to try harder. She can jump like an inch off the ground right now. She's two, right? She just knows herself in light of the standard that she's trying to achieve. And her first reaction is to look at her father, who she knows loves her, and say, Daddy, up. That's a few seconds of insane courage is to admit I don't have it. I don't have what it takes to be the man I want to be. I don't have what it takes to be the woman I want to be, 
to be the mom, the dad, the parent, the spouse, the friend, the coworker, whatever it is that God's called you to be in this stage of your life. I don't have it. And in that few seconds of insane courage, my two-year-old just understood conceptually what Nicodemus missed and what most people in Martin Luther's day were missing. You can't do it on your own, and that's the point. If you could, you wouldn't need grace. That's the point. Am I enough? No. And a lot of us will spend our whole lives trying to be, well, if I just try harder, and if I get over these few bad habits, and if I get my life figured out, if I get myself all cleaned up, then I can stand in the presence of a holy God and feel okay about myself, but that's not how it works. If I read the Bible more, if I'm a better husband, a better wife, a better parent, then I'll be good enough. But the truth is, for all of us, we're never going to reach the hoop. We're never going to do it. And that's why Jesus came to us. And that's why Jesus says to Nicodemus, some of you are like, John 3, where have I heard that before? Skip ahead a few verses. Have you heard of verse 16? Probably. Most famous verse in the whole Bible, Jesus says to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave you his one and only son, that he came down the ladder to you, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Sometimes we have to look at such a familiar verse in a different way. One of my favorite authors and uh, pastors is named Tim Keller, and he writes this, and I, I love, I love, I love this quote. The gospel says that you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. If you could take that and internalize that, that is the heartbeat of the Reformation. Right there. Sinners and saints. 100% sinner, 100% saint. Yes, we are flawed and we are sinful. Yes, we are great sinners, but we have a great Savior. That's the heartbeat of Martin Luther. That's the heartbeat of the Reformation. You want to experience real change in your life, I've never met anybody who doesn't. Believe that. Don't say, that's a cute quote from your sermon, John. Believe it. And then more than that, live like it's true. That his grace is enough for you. Receive it and live like it's true. That might be the greatest step of insane courage that you ever take in your life is believing what God says about you is true to move from Christianity being here to right here. Because, let's break it down and let's apply it. What does that mean for you? Because that means that if you receive that truth, it means that you'd pay way more attention to God's desires for you than the opinions of everybody else. You ever notice that in this day and age, everybody has an opinion about something? Just hop online, right? When's the last time you asked God his opinion? about your marriage, about your finances, your dating life, school, parenting. Trust me, he has things to tell you. Because if you would receive that and live like it's true, then you won't be so worried about keeping up with everybody else in your season of life, whatever that season of life is. Because you're, only fo- you're staying in your lane and, and you're only focused on what God's call for you is. If you really believe that and internalized it, <laughs> you'd stop trying to make sure that your marriage and your family appears perfect and you would start to find that there's courage in being vulnerable with your flaws. That's when the Reformation starts to get really, really 
personal. Because if you're anything like me, the second you feel vulnerable in anything, in relationships, in a job interview, with friends, in a new social situation, the second you feel vulnerable, what do we do? We're like a turtle. And we clam up. You know what grace means? That you can step into any situation, any relationship you're in, and say, I don't have it all together. I'm in process. I'm under construction. But I know what grace means. And I'm stepping into that, and I'm, I'm living like it's true. Living in grace takes insane courage. It really does. More courage than it takes to do anything else. People will go skydiving and, you know, do cliff jumping and all these insane things. Believing that, that's, that's the most insane thing you could ever do. It takes a lot of courage. And that's what a character named Benjamin Me discovered. A few years back, there was a film that came out. Anybody heard of this film called We Bought a Zoo? Anybody heard of that? Okay, three of you. Great. Well, this will be new for the rest of you. This is actually quickly becoming one of my favorite films. I watched it again this week, and so Matt Damon plays this character named Benjamin Me, and he's a single dad, and the title of the movie will tell you the plot. He bought a zoo. We bought a zoo. His family bought a zoo, and at one point in the film, uh, he's struggling as a single dad to relate to his kids, and so his son, Dylan, a teenager, comes to him, and Dylan has this teenage girlfriend, and so that's a whole thing, and so Dylan's asking advice from his dad on what it looks like to live with courage and take a step of faith. Watch what his dad says. Let's take a look. What happened with you and Lily? I don't know. I guess I didn't listen to something she told me or something. I mean, I liked her. It's like you embarrass yourself if you say something, and you embarrass yourself if you don't. You know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you, Something great will come of it. Just 20 seconds of insane courage, a step of faith, and good things will happen. Dylan discovered that, Martin Luther discovered that, and it sparked the Reformation. Nicodemus discovered that when he came to Jesus in the cover of the night, and it changed his life. And my guess is, that a lot of you are here today and that you're where you're at in your faith and in your walk with God and in your life and your faith has come alive because at a certain point in your life and maybe at multiple points, you took a step of insane courage. And that looks different for every single one of us because all of us have different fears, all of us have different insecurities and anxieties that we struggle with, but it looks different for all of you because you've taken that step. And when you could have quit and when you could have said, no, that's not for me or I'm not going to go all in with Jesus or get that excited about my faith, you did. I told you a few weeks ago we, we did this uh, spontaneous baptisms thing at the end of one of uh, my messages and one of the end of the services up here. And some of you came and you, you stepped forward and, you, and you, you came up. You didn't have to do that. That took a lot of courage. That took a step of insane courage to come on up when not a lot of other people will. And you did and close to 20 of you came up. That was a step of courage and it changed everything. A lot of you today can honestly say that 
Some of the people sitting around you and the people that go to this church are like family. You know what it's like to see church as family because you took a step of courage and you joined a life group. Guys, maybe for you that, this week, that's saying, you know what, I've never been to one of these guys' nights before. I'm going to take a step. Maybe for you as young adults, you're saying, I'm going to take a step and go to the young adult life group that's on Monday night. I'm going to take one step of courage, and it could change everything for you. Many of you just have this newfound joy and passion for church because you realize that joy doesn't come through consuming and just getting everything you want. Joy actually comes by flipping that upside down and by being a servant. And the more you serve, the more joy you'll have. And some of you took that step of courage. Some of you have really strong, healthy marriages today because in that moment when you could have quit, instead you took a step towards your spouse in humility and you admitted your faults. You owned it. You took ownership of what you need to change in that relationship. Or maybe for some of you, you've gone to counseling. And I know that that has a lot of stigma around it, but I highly recommend it. There's a lot of fear that people have around that. It takes a lot of courage to say, I need help. Guys, can we just admit for a second, we don't like to ask for help, right? If we're lost, right? Oh, my phone's wrong, or whatever it is, right? We don't like to admit that we need help. It's one thing when it's directions in the car. It's another thing when it's your marriage, and it's struggling. It's another thing when it's your finances and it's your money, and you don't want to admit that as a man that your culture, our culture tells you, you should be able to figure it out. Step it up. Man up. The world says man up. The gospel says look up. Stop looking at yourself and look up. Real men pray. Real men ask for help. They don't get so stuck on themselves. They're like, no, 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 I don't want to admit that anything's wrong. It's wrong. You have issues. We all do. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you got issues. Just tell him that right now. You got issues. If you're married, you can thank me later for that. That wasn't in my notes. That was just a move of the Holy Spirit right there. So here's my question for you. What step of insane courage is God calling you to take? I'm not asking to do a big thing, like go to propose to somebody tonight or, you know, buy a thousand lottery tickets. I'm I'm asking you to do something that's going to actually change you from the inside. Who do you need to call? Who do you need need to ask for forgiveness for? Who Who do you need to reconcile with? Who do you need to invest in? What child do you need to spend some time with? One step of insane courage changes Everything, but whatever you do, it starts with the courage to let yourself be loved. And for most of us, well, for all of us, that's the most courageous thing you'll ever do, is to let yourself be loved. And so we go back to this film one more time. Benjamin Mee wasn't just speaking hypothetically when he was speaking to his son. He was speaking from experience. He'd only been married to his wife a few years before she passed away. And so his kids were pretty young when she died, and they They didn't have an opportunity to grow up with their mom. And the whole movie, he just shoves it under the rug, which a lot of us do, and say, I don't need help. I can get up there by myself. And at the end, he discovers the courage and remembers that this whole adventure of life started when he took that step of insane courage and he remembers and kind of in a nostalgic state, remembers the first time that he met his wife and the step of faith that changed his life. Let's take a look.
the most insanely courageous thing that you could ever do is believe that you are worth being loved. And that's why sometimes when I meet with couples that are getting married and have no idea what they're getting into, or couples that are down the road a ways and they're really hurting, I tell them this, that marriage is probably one of the greatest acts of grace that you will ever experience. Because it takes guts to love and probably a little bit more guts to believe that you're worth being loved. Why not, she says. Why not go all in with Jesus today? (laughs) Why not put your faith in him? Why? Why not? Because one step of insane courage could change everything. And we want to give you an opportunity to do that today. So we told you that we're wrapping up this series today. And this series we've called, um, go ahead and go to the, the Here I Stand page, the subtext there on that next slide is a 10-week confirmation refresher. Now, when I say confirmation, <laughs> some of you have these terrible repressed memories of a cold, damp basement with green shag carpet and a boring pastor trying to explain to you what's so important about giving two hours of your time on a Wednesday night. And that was sort of my experience, too, and just that my dad happened to be the pastor. <clears throat> so I didn't have a choice. And they made all of us confirmants write out a faith statement, as we do ours here. But at my church where I grew up, we got up in front of the entire church, and as scared little ninth graders read that. We chose a favorite verse, and we read what that means to us in front of the entire congregation. So I'm going to ask all of you to do that tonight. No, I'm not going to do that. But I am going to give you an opportunity to confirm your faith. Nowhere in Scripture does it talk about confirmation, by the way. So as Lutherans, we just kind of make this stuff up as we go along. It's not limited to students. Romans says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Some of you have never done that. You've never received that love and that grace, and you've never let it all the way in. Like I said, some of you have been running so hard in the opposite direction It's time to get reconnected tonight. It's time to maybe receive that love for the first time. And so what we're going to do is we're going to give you an opportunity to publicly confess your faith together as a church because we're family and we're in this together. And so just as we would for a confirmation service here or just as we do every single time we have a baptism, we confess our faith. And that's simply what adult confirmation is. It's remembering your baptism. It's remembering of who you are, that you are loved, and that God's grace is enough for you. So I'm just going to lead us through a short service, and I invite you to stand, uh, all of us. And if you're not ready to do this, we don't want to make you say anything that you don't believe. And so you can just follow along. There's no pressure. There's no guilt. And at the same time, if you declare with your mouth and believe in your heart, Romans says that you will be saved. And just like Nicodemus, we need to be born again. We need to be born again and again and again every single day. And so I'm just going to lead us through some statements that kind of recap the sermon series and the foundations of our Lutheran faith. And then I'll simply ask that you 
respond to each of those statements with I do, and I ask God to help me. And the reason I'm saying I instead of we, yeah, we're in this together, but this is between you and God. And I want it to be real. So I encourage you to really think, really think and reflect on what you're saying. So let's go through this together. Do you believe in God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, trusting that God is a loving Father, a loving Savior, and an empowering Spirit that sends you out on his mission? If so, answer, I do, and I ask God to help me. Do you believe that you are a member of the priesthood of all believers, that you are chosen, that you are dearly loved son or daughter of the king who has been empowered to live out your faith every day, not only inside the walls of the church, but outside the church walls? If so, answer, I do, and I ask God to help me. Do you believe that God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you in order that you might live an abundant life today and experience eternity with him forever? If so, answer, I do, and I ask God to help me. I do, and I ask God to help me. Hmm. Praise God. Praise God. That's some powerful statements that we just made together. And so we're going to close our service today. The band's going to lead us in a song of worship. And I just invite you to remain standing and sing this together. And in honor of this Reformation Day and this statement of faith that you just made, we want to do a visible sign to help you remember that. And a lot of you think it's really, really cute when we have babies come up here and we take a little bit of oil and make the sign of the cross on their forehead. Well, you know what? That's for all of you tonight that believe and, and want to receive this. God's people have always used oil as a way to anoint people, which means you are set apart for a very specific purpose. You are chosen. And so what we're going to do, Chris and I are going to be up here in the front. We'll just be hanging out. And as the Spirit leads you, the ushers aren't going to tell you to go. This is between you and God. If you want to come up, we're just going to make a small sign of the cross on your forehead. And we're going to say to you, you have been marked with the cross of Christ and sealed with the Holy Spirit now and forever. It's a powerful declaration of believing that God's grace is enough for you today. If you don't want to come up, there's no pressure. Just hang out, sing along with the song, and we're going to worship together. But we want to invite you to do that and then just head back to your seat uh, when you're done. And we'll close in worship together. All is ready. Let's worship.